0: Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John chapter 6 verses 24 to 35. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our preacher this morning is... Our very own Samuel Caraballo, who is joining us all the way from Puerto Rico. And we're so grateful for the technology that allows him to do this and for his willingness to join us while he's off enjoying the beach. (laughs) So we're glad you're here, Samuel. And I would just like to pray for you before you begin. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from our brother in Christ this morning. And we ask that your spirit would pour out on him and that the words, of his mouth would be pleasing to you, and that you would fill our hearts and minds with what you have for us to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. Um, happy to see all of you from the island of Puerto Rico. Um, I realize that this is a, an act of faith. <laughs> because although we are in a computer you never know what's going to happen so um but we're we pray to god that um the internet uh, stays uh stable and um but i really wanted to say that i uh, we've been here for almost you know a month and a half and uh we miss i miss my church i do um it doesn't matter um, where are we going and anything like that? But I, 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 recognize when I travel far away from Massachusetts, that, um, Christianity is not something that is meant to be lived in isolation, right? It's something that, um, you live with the, uh, your community and, uh, you are part of my community. So, um, I dearly miss, uh, being, um. Uh, with you guys in person, and, and also closer in terms of distance. But um, today, I just want to give you a quick report from from this island. Uh, everybody was awake sometime today at around six o'clock in the morning. Maybe you know the whole island was awake watching the Olympics. Um, I was going to share it with you on the screen why was that. Um, And it's because there was a uh, race today scheduled at 6.55 in the morning, um, and her name is Jasmine Camacho-Quinn. She's running the um, 100 meters hurdles uh, for uh, Puerto Rico, and um, she made it to the finals, and that's a big deal here, because in terms of the sport of track and field, uh, we never had a uh, a medal, actually, in the sport of track and field, and she just made it to the finals. She uh, qualified as the first, uh, the first, you know, the best time. So we are anxiously waiting till today, ten fifty, to watch again. You know, um, everybody stops, everything here, uh, nobody moves. Everybody glue themselves to the TV, trying to watch and see what's going to happen with Jasmine. Um, you guys, you can imagine there's a lot of uh, a lot of prayer going on <laughs> So, just to uh, let you know that what's going on. So uh, in terms of today's sermon, I decided to uh, title the sermon Finding Sublime in in the Mundane, right? Finding Sublime in the Mundane. And by mundane, I'm not me. Uh, I'm not meeting anything that is not uh, something that is bad I just you know by mundane I'm I'm referring to things that we encounter in our our daily lives Uh, and um, we're going to talk about that and how I see that um, one of the major concepts operating in in the chapter chapter six of uh, the gospel of John so let me show you another image and I promise I to show my faith as we go through this. So the image that I have on the screen right now, this is Manu Prakash. Manu Prakash is a scientist originally from India, who is now an associate uh, professor of bioengineering at Stanford. And in 2016, uh, Dr. Prakash received the MacArthur Fellowship uh, for his work and his focus on frugal innovation. And he's a, he set out to make medicine, uh, computing, and microscopy accessible to people all around the world using daily you know, materials. And Dr. Prakash is the creator of the Falscope. Another image that I have on the screen. The full scope is a paper microscope. It's a microscope made of uh, paper. And it costs around $1 to make. But it has the capability of introducing people with limited resources to the fascinating world of microbiology. So, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I knew that my kids were going to, you know, we were gonna be stuck at home. And so I decided to purchase uh, three false scopes, uh, paper microscopes. And both kids and grown ups had lots of fun exploring the murky water around our street. And, um, you know, we took the paper microscopes and we were able to. Um, uh, look at the water and see, you know, any pond around the street might have microorganisms. And using this paper microscope allow us to see that world that it was hidden from our eyes, right? And we even went to the Hemlock Gorge in newton Upper Falls, where, where we live, and it is very close to where we are at. We had a lot of fun you know since we were stuck at home looking at different microorganisms that we find in the water just using a paper microscope that cost maybe one dollar to build right so while growing up in India Dr. Prakash described his introduction to science as finding sublime in the mundane and his idea of science was based on wasn't based on on ex- expensive lab equipment or state-of-the-art facilities but on daily curiosity using artifacts that we already have in our context right things like fire like glasses insects household products and just sheer imagination things that are readily available to all of us and those were the elements that inspire him to become one of the world Renowned innovators in science, right? He says that his initiation into science was so informal, or rather mundane, that he did not know he was actually doing science. That same mentality has led him to uh, has led the way to has lead, led him to be the, the main person when he talks of, when we talk about frugal engineering is one of the world-renowned scientists that is, is working on that, how to use household products to convert those into artifacts that people can use to explore more about scientific stuff. So the people in the passage that we read, that Kelly read for us in John 6, were also invited to wrestle with what with that same concept of finding the sublime in the mundane. And so we, do not, we don't need to be rocket scientists or Bible scholars to infer that food security, things like drinking water, appropriate shelter, were hard things to come by in first century Galilee where this narrative takes place. And if you notice the gospel of John always uses, uses Im- imagery of basic but yet essential elements to sustain life, Um, things like water. You know, in John chapter three, we see that Jesus is the living water. And if you drink of it, you will never be thirsty. Uh, John chapter one, Jesus is the light of the world. You know, water, light. And John chapter six, we see that he is the bread of life. Right, so he's talking about water, light, bread those things that we all need to survive in this world. But John uses it to reveal the complexity of the incarnation, which is arguably the greatest mystery there is, So all of this takes place, all of this narrative takes place in a territory that is being occupied by an oppressing Roman empire. And the Roman Empire in the region of Galilee controlled the politics, the economic flow of goods, and even the portions of food available to people through heavy taxation and indentured servitude. That was the role of the empire. So we're, we're talking about people who were very, very oppressed, who relied on, on things like water, life, and bread, to sustain their life in the midst of this occupation. So when I say that the crowd in John 6 were invited to find sublime in the mundane, I'm not suggesting that mundane means insignificant things. I'm not advocated for Gnosticism, right? That ancient philosophy that promotes that all the material aspects of realities of reality are worthless. And only the spiritual ones are the ones that count. In fact, Jesus knew wholeheartedly that these people needed water to survive, that they needed life to endure the elements. And they certainly needed bread to keep on going. But remember that in John, the, that John 6, chapter 6, verse 24 is preceded by the narrative of the feeding of the 5,000. That moment where Jesus miraculously feed the whole, crime, uh, whole crowd with bread and fish. And that is what makes this story so intriguing. So many people who encounter this passage are tempted to conclude that the crowd in John chapter six did not know who Jesus, Jesus was. But when we read the entire passage carefully, we notice that it's not, that's not the case. The people indeed knew the messianic identity of Jesus, but the messianic role envis- envisioned by these people did not match the messianic role that Jesus came to establish. That's a problem right there. It's not that I don't recognize Jesus as a potential Messiah, but it's that the, the type of menta, the messiah that I pictured in my mind is different than the Messiah that Jesus wants to be, right? So to understand a little bit more about the expectation of the people with regards to when the Messiah was to come, we need to pay attention to the apocalyptic writings circulating at the time of the gospel. of John, And those details are found in Jewish writings such as the second book of Baruch, it's a, Baruch is a non canonical writing. You won't find it in our Bibles, but it's a Jewish writing that talks about the, the end of times. It has a clear apocalyptic vision. And I want to share a passage from Baruch, the second book of Baruch, with you, so you can pay attention to what people had in mind at that time when we talk about um, this specific uh, moment in time. Let me share this with you, if you can see it there. So my screen says Second Baroque 29a. Again, it's not in the Bible, but it's something that is permeating the imagination of people at that time. It says, and it will happen at that time. So what time are they referring? So they're, they're talking about the end time when the Messiah is to come to the earth. It would happen at that time that the treasury of manna will come down again from on high. And they will eat of it in those years because these are the ones who will have a right at the consummation of time. What, what does this mean in plain English? People knew through writings about the end of times at the time where the Gospel of John was written that the signs that will accompany the Messiah, the one who is going to liberate the people of Israel. One of those signs was to bring manna from heaven, right? So if 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 the you know how would I know that there is such thing as a Messiah? Well, I just need to look at um, whether or not this person is capable of bringing manna, right? So I, I want you to have that in mind because that helps us understand what's going on in this passage, specifically the feeding of the five thousand. Closely resembles the apocalyptic notion of the people at that time. So if you look at John chapter 6, verse 14, share that with you here as well. John chapter 6, verse 14. Screen. It says, When the people saw the sign, the sign being the feeding of miraculous feeding of a crowd of 5,000 men that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed, right? This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about a crowd that after he performs a miracle, a miracle that resembles that vision of the Messiah, or apocalyptic vision of people who were expecting this, this person to emerge, one prophet that will come and liberate us from the Roman Empire and will restore the prosperity and the economic wealth of our region. They try to make Jesus, try to take him by force to make him king, right? So, however, to the people in question, a Messiah was a prophet that came to meet their physical needs and also dethrone the occupying military regime oppressing the people. Hence, the Messiah needed to be declared king of the land. And as you might imagine, there was already a ruler in Galilee. His name was Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, who was appointed by the Roman Empire as their pawn. So there was already a ruler there, but the people wanted to make Jesus the king. So forcing Jesus to be the king was no less than a coup attempt against the Roman Empire. And that was, that for the people was the consummation of time. That's when the Messiah will come, the person or the individual that will run a coup against the Roman Empire at that time. When so in John six, Jesus unapologetically seems to disclose his disclose his messianic identity by feeding the people miraculously. However, he refuses to accept. He doesn't seem doesn't accept the messianic notion that people had of him. That's a different problem here. And this opens the possibility, which is the heart of this message, that we as people of God might want to enthrone the right person, but for the wrong reasons. That's That's the problem here in this passage, John chapter six, verse 24. Not that people did not recognize him, but the vision that they already had for a Messiah was pretty clear. Messiah is a war lord, is a king of the land. is gonna throw out people who are oppressing us right now. It's the person who's gonna feed us the bread from heaven. And Jesus, that's when we need to pay attention to to the actual passage, to, to the word of Jesus in this time to see what is it that he actually says, right? So let me share with you this passage uh, again so we can look and take a closer look at what chapter six has to say. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered, when the crowd came back trying to figure out, uh, we wanted to make you king and you ran out to the bushes or the mountain. So who are you again? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs i performed but because you ate the loaves and i and i and had your fill in other words you feel, you know you you're looking for me because there's something that i did for you materially speaking i provided food for you and 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 that's not that's not bad again these are people who are struggling every single day to make ends meet And Jesus miraculously took the time to feed the crowd. He will not let them go out without getting something to eat. Now, it also says that do not work, Jesus speaking, for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, God, the father has placed his seal of approval. So, and imagine the crowd coming on, you know, what are you talking about? We're we're expecting you to do something else here, right? And you just told us that you uh, are the person who has the seal of approval from God. Okay, we get that. But that not work for the food that's spoiled but food that endure in eternal life we we didn't come here to talk about eternal life we need some we, we need a fix right now this is something that is taking place in our land right now so what are you talking about and this is interesting the question that they reply back to Jesus then they ask him Jesus just all, you know, just told them that I'm the person who God has placed a seal of approval. And the people go back and say, what must we do to do the works of God? Right. So Jesus is talking about himself being the man approved by God. And they reply back to him. Okay, let's let's play this along. What is it that God, God, not you, but what is it that God want us to do? We certainly do not see you. you are a man. We're not God. So what must we do to do the works of God again? In other words, come again. What, what are you talking about? Right? And then Jesus comes and says, you know, the work of God is actually not a work. You want to do the works of God? It's, it's not a work. It's just believing me. You know, the work of God is this. To believe and the one he has sent I thought we were talking about God here you're telling us to believe in the one who he has sent and they okay so we're playing along uh, we're looking for the bread we're looking for a warlord definitely you're not do, giving us that So what's your resume again? What does your resume, what what are your qualifications for us to believe what you're saying? Because this doesn't meet our expectations. Verse 30 says, so they asking what signs then will you give? We may see it and believe you. what will you do? Certainly our ancestors ate the manna Think about the word manna being ruminating in their brains as the sign of the person who's supposed to deliver them from this oppression, oppressive occupation of the Roman empire, saying our ancestor ate the manna in the wilderness and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, are you the one who we are waiting for for this time? We already know that the Messiah needs to bring manna uh apparently you fed us that's that didn't come from heaven it's not clear to us where are you here (laughs) so what's your resume what's your qualification for this you keep going Jesus said to them very truly I tell you it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven In other words, you're looking for manna from heaven. I am telling you that my father right now is giving you manna from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people respond, well, we certainly want that bread. Where is it? I am. What? Yeah. I am the bread of life. That's it. Yeah, I am the bread of life. Whoever it comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So let us examine the individual and collective implications for Christians in this passage. There's a confrontation here. People were looking for something. They found something else. And something else that forced them to transcend the here and now into something that lead them to think about the eternal life. Don't you care that we're perishing right now? That it's so hard to find water, find bread, and you tell me you're the bread of life. I need something to eat. Jesus, said, oh, well, I already fed you. So, individually speaking, through this narrative, we learned that we run the risk of making Jesus the king of the land for the wrong reasons. And our understanding of who Jesus is or what he ought to do for us might be our own way to try to make Jesus king by force and suddenly the notion of confessing Jesus as king a lot of Christians confess Jesus as king and lord of our lives gets a little complicated right because the question is no longer whether he is king of our lives but whether what kind of king is he yeah, we we don't dispute that he is the king, right? What kind of king did he come to be? The question is no whether it's no longer whether we think he can perform miracles. He certainly can. He just fed us, but whether we wish to use his miracles to satisfy our own needs against the agenda that he already has as the one who's approved with the seal of God. Maybe we just want to use Jesus to crush our enemies or those who sponsor ways of life that are contrary to my values and my perceptions. To that, Jesus might respond, you are not following me for my signs, right? You are not following me for my signs or because you understand who I am but because I have the power to make your wishes come true or you have a pressing need that I can fill you're following me because what I can do for you and I'm telling you I came to establish an agenda that might not be in accordance to what you thought I was supposed to be doing collectively speaking as the body of Christ, as Newton covenant church, we live in a society that expects this church to meet only the physical needs of the marginalized, marginalized individuals. But only that. We're not supposed to use those, those mundane aspects to point people to a higher vision of reality that can only be fulfilled by the one who called himself the bread of. Otherwise, we would be proselytizing, or worse, we could be taking advantage of those who are already in distress. The problem is that Jesus, according to John 6, chapter 24, did not come only to fill the bellies of those who were hungry. That was important for sure. He took the time to feed people. But in John, we see that Jesus, Jesus confronting those he fed to a higher calling of life that can only be satisfied, can cannot be satisfied with just physical nourishment. Jesus did not claim to be one of the breads bread of life, or he's not one of the lights of the world, or one of the fountains of living water. He said that he and he alone is the bread of life, the light of the world, the living water, and that he and only he bear the seal of approval of the father. And that's gonna be contentions in the society that we are in because people want the church, you know, just mitigate the needs. Don't talk about anything about your your, your beliefs, just feed the people. That's not what the Bible was saying today. (laughs) He's actually saying, you know, imagine the church feeding people after a hurricane or an earthquake or in the midst of a pandemic and later saying, oh, by the way, guys, beyond the food, the clothes and the medicines we can provide you there is one who is the everlasting bread, the everlasting light, the everlasting water, the everlasting medicine for your souls. It's not that we don't care about your whole person, but the reason why we do what we do is not just pure humanitarian help. We're trying to be faithful and obey our commission. To point people through whatever means necessary to the one who came to give us life, hope, and transform us. The one who called us to love our enemies. The one who called us to be good stewards of this earth. The one who called us to be like him. Oh, how dare you? use this moment of vulnerability in the likes of individuals to proselytize these poor souls. That's, that's the criticism that we're always going to get. But based on John 6, we would have to respond based on what Jesus did in this chapter. We would have to say, if we neglect to share with this people in need, the essence of the one who has commissioned us to do this type of work, we would ultimately be obstructing and neglecting to share the love, the hope, and the transformation of the only one who is the bread of life, the only one who is the living water, the only one who is the light of the world. Tough, right? I'm going to close by sharing this quote with you um, about the social mission of the church. It's clearly displayed in the actions of Jesus when he himself takes the time to lead the people he has just fed to the living bread a bread that is not going to be spoiled. It says, the validity of the church social action is clearly to be seen as means, not as, as an end, but as means of pointing to the spiritual understanding of the implications of God's love of humanity in all its symbols. The validity of what we do sure compel us to meet the physical needs of those who are around us, but that's not the end. That's a means to point to people, to the sublime reality that there is one who bears the seal of approval from God and only in him we can find true satisfaction for our souls, for our lives, for everything we do, and from where actually we live and dwell. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for um this time that you have. Allow us to look at this this passage that it's at times a little convoluted. Thank you, God, because you are interested in meeting our physical needs. You're not a God who is only paying attention to the spiritual aspects of our life. You feed us, you clothe us, you give us water, but not just in the physical aspect. You have declared yourself to be the living bread that bread we want not only that it will be unethical for us to not share that news you are the living water the light of the world and the living bread to those who have not had the chance to meet you thank you for your word and what it confronts us Lord Because there are times where we We stop at just meeting the physicality of the needs of those who are around us. And because of perhaps fear of confrontation, fear of criticism, sometimes we we just leave it out there. Today you are are calling us to enthrone you in our lives, but for the right reasons. Not just for the things you can do for us, but because of who you are and what you came to do with this sinful world. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to give us the strength, the discernment, and the wisdom to be more like you. In the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.